And you can keep open that passage today as we bring our time in the life of Abraham to a close. In 1636, Samuel Rutherford, one of the great Scottish Presbyterian preachers of his time, uh, he was imprisoned for several years in Aberdeen for refusing to comply with unbiblical worship, being forced upon the church by the king. And while he was in prison, uh, Rutherford wrote many letters to the members of his congregation, whom he was obviously being kept away for for quite some time. And one of the things that Rutherford often told his congregants was that they should forefancy their deathbed. They should forefancy their deathbed. Probably not a word that we use too often, forefancy. Sounds very strange, perhaps. But he simply meant that they should think about their death. They shouldn't try to just not think about it. They should be prepared for it. That if God uh, spared them, they would be ready for it. Not just practically, of course, but spiritually. Our passage today is a good way for us to do that and to see it done. This passage is one of those that we might run our eye over quickly and quickly pass by, perhaps. There are two deaths recorded. There are quite a few names listed, most of which don't mean anything to us. And we might prefer to get back to the action and and go on with the rest of the story of Genesis and not think too much about uh, death and descendants as we have them here in chapter 25, verses 1 to 18. But on closer inspection, this list of names and, and the death of Abraham in particular, it holds wonderful reassurances for us concerning the faithfulness of God. This text allows us, indeed, it encourages us to think back over the life of Abraham and then to think about his death and in all of it to see how God has kept his promises and extended his grace. Abraham was not a perfect man. We've seen that. But he was a man of faith. And here at the end of his life, we see his faith rewarded and how reassuring that is to all of us here today who share Abraham's faith young or old sick or healthy all of us are going to die someday unless Jesus returns first but we don't need to be afraid of that and we and we shouldn't try to just not think about it this passage reminds us that whether in life or in death God provides And God will remain faithful. So let's think first of all today about God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. And perhaps chapter 25 verse 1 is very surprising to us as we begin the passage. It says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak and Shuah. Now you might read that and think, hold on a minute, Abraham had another wife? Why have we not been told about this earlier? And he had other sons, six other sons in fact, according to verses 3 and 4. Six sons apart from Isaac and Ishmael. Six sons who themselves went on to have sons and grandsons. And this is perhaps very surprising to us because of where in the story of Abraham we get this information right at the end as as the writer is summing up his life and about to bring it to a close. 
In fact, as the commentators point out, it seems entirely possible, if not even quite likely, that Abraham had these sons with Keturah many years before the end of his life. Perhaps even when Sarah was still alive. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was finally born, his legitimate covenant son by Sarah. He was 137 when Sarah died. So it seems somewhat unlikely that Abraham would have had all these sons after Isaac was born. Notice in verse 6 that Keturah is referred to as a concubine. It says in verse 6 that Abraham sent away the sons of his concubines, plural. That's Hagar and Keturah. She's also described as his concubine in 1 Chronicles 1 verse 32. And the fact that she's described using that word the same way that Hagar is described uh, would suggest that Keturah was a, a second wife or a a second class wife even you might say because that's what a concubine was it was it was not quite a a legitimate wife it was another wife and and this was the 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 practice in the culture of Abraham's day that many men particularly wealthy men they would have their wife and then they would have concubines as well and of course this wasn't supposed to be the practice of God's people Genesis 2.24 makes clear that it's to be one man and one woman forever. That's God's definition of marriage. And yet sometimes what is accepted by the culture is also accepted by believers, whether it should be or not. And as one commentator points out, yes, this may well have been a blind spot or a failing in Abraham's life, but there are perhaps blind spots even in our lives today. There are perhaps ways in which We are more directed by our culture, more influenced by our culture than we should be. Perhaps not to the extent that we're taking second wives, but nonetheless, culture can sometimes impact Christians more than we care to realize or admit. And that seems to have been the case for Abraham, this practice of taking other wives. But by the way that the passage gives us this information, friends, and and the, the, the time, the the point at which it gives us this information. It would suggest to us that the bigger point that we are to see in this passage is that God kept his promises to Abraham. God promised Abraham in Genesis 17 verse 5 when when he changed his name, God changed his name from Avram to Abraham, from Abram to Abraham. He said, I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. And Genesis 25 is showing us that that is exactly what happened. A multitude of nations came from Abraham. Not only do we have this list of Keturah's sons, we also have the list of Ishmael's sons, verses 12 to 18. And some of the names in these lists do reappear in the Old Testament. Names like Midian and Sheba and Dedan. The places recorded where the sons of Ishmael ended up are places associated with the the eastern lands of Arabia, or as we know it today, Saudi Arabia, and elsewhere. Why do we have these lists of names and places? Well, they prove to his friends that Abraham did indeed become the father of a multitude of nations. We might be left wondering when exactly he took Keturah as a wife. We might be wondering exactly what he might have been thinking with Hagar and Keturah and Sarah. But it did happen. 
And in spite of whatever blind spots or failings or perhaps even he had taken Keturah when he was much younger before God had even called him. Whatever the circumstances may have been, the passage wants us to see here that God blessed Abraham. That he was faithful to him. It's important to notice that Abraham did set apart Isaac from these other sons. Isaac is Abraham's covenant son. He is his legitimate son by Sarah. And Isaac therefore has a different status from the rest of his sons. Look at verse 5. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Mentioned to you before that in Genesis to travel eastward uh, tends to mean not just, uh, it's not just a geographical reference point, but it also tends to mean that people are moving away from the presence of God, that uh, from a, they're moving away from a relationship with God. And these sons of Abraham's concubines, they are sent eastward. They, they scatter eastward, away from Canaan, away from the promised land, away from the inheritance that only Isaac is to receive. And yet the remarkable thing, friends, the, the, the remarkable thing we see is the bigger picture of the the bigger storyline of the Bible unfolds is that God promised to one day gather back in the scattered tribes and nations of Abraham. Just listen to Isaiah 60 and verse 4. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Verse 6. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. The sons of Ishmael and the sons of Keturah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. And shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord. What's God saying there through Isaiah? He's saying the nations that have been scattered. Will one day be gathered. They will be gathered back in. Abraham was the father of a multitude of nations. And God's plan, friends, was always that the multitude of nations would be blessed through the one nation. That the nation of Isaac and Jacob, the nation of Israel, would be the means by which God invites all the nations to come and to worship him and to know him and to praise him. God of Abraham has sent one son of Abraham who rather than keeping the inheritance to himself as Isaac had to do, shares the inheritance with all the sons of Abraham. And that one son, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, before he ascended back into heaven, words that we'll think more about these next few weeks, God willing, Jesus commanded his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations. And you remember what happened at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. As the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles, they were suddenly able to speak the languages of the nations. Men and women from all around the Roman world at, at the day of Pentecost had gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. And all of a sudden, those men and women from all the different nations, they hear the gospel being 
preached in their own native tongue. God was gathering in the nations in the name of Jesus Christ. And so friends, what this chapter and the rest of the story of the Bible tells us is that God did more with Abraham's life than perhaps even Abraham himself could ever have imagined. Abraham lived to the age of 175. As much as Genesis tells us a lot about him, it certainly doesn't tell us about every day or even every year of Abraham's life. It couldn't do that. But just think of how many ordinary, quiet, unremarkable days Abraham must have had. 175 years old. The last portion of his life seems to have been particularly ordinary and quiet. No big visions from God. No more big tests of faith like having to take Isaac up the mountain. Just an old man faithfully, quietly going about his days. Washing the dishes. Washing the dirty clothes. Looking after his household. Making the, making the dinner. But in the midst of it all, trusting in the faithfulness of God. And trusting that God would do with his life far more than he could even have imagined. And through Abraham, friends, to this very day, the nations, including the nations of the sons of Hagar and the sons of Keturah, are hearing about the grace of God. They're being invited to return and to share the inheritance of the promised son of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer today, you might not think you live a particularly interesting or important life. You don't have thousands of followers on social media. More than likely, no one is going to write your biography when you die. But if you're living by faith in the covenant God of Abraham, you're part of this great, grand, glorious story of what God is doing in all the nations. And this is why we should care about reaching the nations. Why we should care about reaching the people on our own doorstep in Dromore. Because the nations are being invited to be gathered back in from north, south, east and west. We might might not be in Abraham in terms of his significance in the story of God's grace. But we can still be used by God like Abraham. Our purpose is to bring good news to the nations. To let them know that Jesus Christ now invites them back. Pray for those opportunities. Take those opportunities. Plod on in faith. And be assured that God will be faithful to you. And will do with your seemingly ordinary life. Whatever he chooses. Just as he did with the life of Abraham. So God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. Secondly God's faithfulness in Abraham's death. God's faithfulness in Abraham's death. Look at verses 7 to 8. Verse 7 says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Just notice there in verse 8, friends. All those descriptions of Abraham's death. He breathed his last. He died in a good old age. An old man full of years. 
Uh, the late Dr. Blair, just, uh, he, he translated that last phrase, full of years, as satisfied. He died satisfied. It's just one word in the Hebrew. He died satisfied. But the text, friends, in verse 8, is going out of its way to emphasize to us that Abraham died well. That God was faithful to Abraham in his death. Verse 8 here, the way it comes out with all these different phrases to describe his death, it's doing that, friends, to say to us, look at this. Don't miss this. Here's another promise kept. God had said to Abraham back in Genesis 15, verse 15, when he first made his covenant with him, he said, as for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And here we have it. Another promise kept. And just in passing, by the way, we're reminded here too with the the death of Abraham. We're reminded of the importance of making practical preparations before we die. Of having our affairs in order. Abraham had made sure to find a wife for Isaac. We thought about that last week in chapter 24. He sends the sons of his concubines away from Isaac to the east. He sends them away well supplied with gifts, probably financial gifts, to make sure that they have a start in life. He ensures that Isaac is left in Canaan. And of course he made arrangements for his own burial. We thought in chapter 23 about his purchasing of the field when Sarah died. And we're told here in verse 9 that Isaac and Ishmael buried Abraham in that same field, the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron. And so God's faithfulness is written all over the death of Abraham, friends. And as as we prepare for death ourselves someday, we can trust God to be faithful to us as well. And it's not morbid or unnecessary to think about your death. In fact, it is crucially important. It's important practically that you have your affairs in order, that you have your will written, that you don't leave your family with difficult or complicated business to resolve that insofar as you are able ahead of time you get things sorted out but even more than that of course we need to be spiritually prepared for our death are you ready for death are you already prepared for it having repented of sin and trusted in the lord jesus christ as savior and redeemer Are you living by faith now so that it can be said of you when you died? When you die rather, that you died satisfied. You died in peace, having trusted in the faithfulness of God. But the text doesn't just tell us about Abraham's death. It tells us what happened to him beyond his death. Notice the last phrase of verse 8. It says, he died in a good old age, full of years. And at the end of verse 8 it says, he was gathered to his people. He was gathered to his people. And those words prove to his friends that even in the early days of the Old Testament, God's people died believing that they would continue to exist after death. Notice that it says, Abraham died and then, in other words, and then was gathered to his people. So, Gathered to his people is not just another way of saying he died. It's not just another way of of describing death. 
It's describing what happened to Abraham after he died. It's also not just a way of saying that he was buried. Genesis 49 verse 33 says that Jacob died and was gathered to his people. But Jacob wasn't buried for about a month after his death because he was down in Egypt. And his family had to take his body up to Canaan. Before he was buried, we're told, he was gathered to his people. So friends, this phrase, gathered to his people, which we do see here and there later on in the Bible as well. It's talking about something that happens to us after we die. After you die, you do not simply cease to exist. Your soul lives on and you go to be with your people. You are reunited with your people. After Abraham died, he was reunited with Sarah. And he would have gone to be with Adam and Eve and Seth and Enoch and Noah. Ishmael, notice, also died and was gathered to his people, verse 17. But we have very little reason to believe that Ishmael was taken to be with Abraham and Sarah. Ishmael, you remember, had showed antagonism to Isaac. He, he showed disrespect and disdain for the covenant promises. He seems to have been a man who rejected God in his life. But he was still gathered to his people. And when you die, you're going to be gathered to your people as well. Who are your people? Who are you going to see when you die? Are you going to be gathered to Abraham and Moses? Boys and girls, have you thought about that? That if you have your faith in Jesus, that someday you're going to get to meet the people like Abraham and Moses that we have described for us in the Bible? Are you going to be gathered to Peter and Paul? Are you going to be gathered to your Christian parents, your Christian brothers and sisters? Are you going to be gathered to your Christian spouse who perhaps has already gone ahead of you to glory? Are you going to be gathered to Jesus Christ? your shepherd and your saviour? Or are you going to be gathered to the people who have rejected the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, the mercy of God? Are you going to be amongst those, as Revelation twenty-two fifteen describes it, outside? There will be that great marriage supper of the Lamb, that great feast of Christ and his people happening inside. But there will be those who are outside. Are you going to be gathered to people who are going to be in torment and anguish and bitter regret? Abraham died in faith. Hebrews 11 verse 10 says he was looking forward to the city who has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. A city is a place full of people. Abraham died believing that he would go to be with his people. And he was gathered to his people. Is that what's going to happen to you on the day that you die? God's faithfulness in Abraham's life. God's faithfulness in Abraham's death. And thirdly and finally today, God's faithfulness after Abraham's life and death. <coughs> Look at verse 11. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, 
and Isaac settled at Beer Lechai Ruai. Imagine if you were reading the Bible for the very first time and you started at Genesis chapter 1. More than half of everything you've read so far has been about Abraham. He's been one of, if not the most significant, important figure, humanly speaking, in the whole book so far. And just think how dramatic his story has been. Called by God at the age of 75 to leave his own pagan nation behind, to leave his own idols behind. Given these amazing promises by God, his nephew Lot leaves him. Abraham and Sarah go down to Egypt. Hagar and Ishmael, the covenant of circumcision, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Isaac is born. Isaac is nearly sacrificed. Sarah dies. Isaac gets a wife. What a life. What a, what a faith. What a legacy. What a story. But now Abraham dies. And if you were reading it all for the very first time, you might be thinking, what's going to happen now? How are we going to cope? This great man of faith has died. Well, there's no need to fret. Look how the story has just moved along immediately in verse 11. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And if you read on into, into the rest of chapter 25 and chapter 26, you'll see that God very quickly confirms that the covenant promises, the covenant faithfulness that he had shown to Abraham, he will also show to Isaac. God's promises, friends, God's covenant promises are not the least bit threatened by the death of God's covenant patriarch. It was never all down to Abraham. It was God providing for him, being gracious to him, remaining faithful to him. And verse 11 is just telling us, just as God guided and provided for Abraham, now he will guide and provide for Isaac. And Isaac is a sort of a curious character in the Bible. God willing, we'll return to Genesis at some point in the near future. We'll we'll look at what uh, we can learn from, from Isaac's life. He was certainly a believer But it's not going to take us anywhere near as long to cover what Genesis tells us about Isaac as it did, uh, as it tells us, as much as it tells us about Abraham. Isaac's was a quiet life compared to his father's. He's not quite the same towering figure in scripture that Abraham is. But friends, that doesn't matter. Because God is working to his plan. He is faithful to his people and he will preserve his covenant. We sang earlier the words of Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The death of anyone brings grief to their loved ones, those who relied upon them, those who cared about them, those who were closest to them. But friends, in terms of the the purposes of God's kingdom, God is never reliant on anyone. God does not need the most gifted preacher or evangelist or parent in the world right now. God doesn't need the most fruitful, faithful, wonderful congregation in the world right now, whichever one it is. Jesus did not say, Charles Spurgeon will build my church or Martin Lloyd-Jones will build my church. He didn't say Presbyterians or Baptists or even Reformed Presbyterians will build my church. He said, I will build my church. 
What wonderful good news that is. What a sense of burden that removes from our shoulders. Should not give us perspective and encouragement and motivation in our worship and witness each and every day. It's not down to us or any one of us. God loved Abraham. God was faithful to Abraham. But God did not need Abraham. God's covenant purposes continued long after Abraham had died. And I think it's a, it's, it's a humbling, but I think very freeing truth that it's the same with you and me. I'm not for one minute saying, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't or we have no need to mourn or grieve the loss of Christians whom we loved and respected. Of course I'm not saying that. And Jesus wept for Lazarus. David mourned even for the death of Saul. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Friends, when a church or a denomination or a ministry cannot recover and cannot move on in the right sense from a preacher or some other leader, that would suggest a church that was man-centered and not Christ-centered. And the churches or the believers that are just always longing for the good old days tend not to be much use in these days, here and now. I've been in churches, I've talked to people, and all they talk about is a ministry from 50 or 60 years ago. And their church is stuck in 50 or 60 years ago. And their church is dying. The, world, the worlds of politics or business or sport, they give us plenty of examples of success being built on one person's genius or one person's abilities. And when that person left, everything falls to pieces. We can all think of examples of that in the worlds of politics or sport in particular. But the church is not supposed to be like that. We don't put our faith in personalities. We put our faith in God's promises. One writer simply says, God's servants die. God's promised plan continues. Our own denomination has lost men in the last two or three years who, in my opinion, are spiritual giants. Men I looked up to, and many, many of you as well no doubt looked up to, some of the most gifted preachers and humble servants of our generation. But they would be the first to tell you the church is in the hands of Christ, not any of us. And we live in desperate times, not just spiritually, but socially and economically, every way you can think of desperate times. And it's tempting to look at the past and wish we had so-and-so here or wish it was just like it was however long ago. But loved ones, God has called us to this time and this place. And the Lord of hosts, the psalmist says, is on our side, our security, our refuge. He says in Isaiah 46 verse 3, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. Even to your old age I am he, and to grey hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. How has he saved us? He saved us through the promised son that he gave to Abraham, not Isaac, but Christ. Colossians 1.28, him we proclaim. I've quoted you the words of John 8.56 several times throughout our series. I quote them 
For the last time today, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham, by faith, saw the future. He saw the one whom God would provide to redeem him and to redeem Isaac and to redeem Jacob and his descendants after him. He saw the one who would gather in his scattered sons, all the nations from north, south, east and west. He saw the one who, having died, now has been raised and is seated in glory and is keeping his promises and is building his church. He will remain faithful to his friends in life and in death. And so may we, like Abraham, remain faithful to him. May we run our race well. May we live well. May we die well. May we pass the baton to the next generation and the next until at last all Christ's people are gathered together and the work is done and we can rest with our King, gathered with our people forever. Amen.